The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Hey, good morning, Eleven. Nice to see you. Thanks for being... Whoa. What's happening over here? 10.30. I told you I'm never going to get it right. It's 10.49, by the way. We just changed service times from 11 to 10.30. For those of you who are guests with us, that's the joke. Now you're in on it. I just don't have a brain for 10.30. I have a brain for 11, not for 10.30. So in 10 minutes, I will actually be present with you. But... um, Hey, my name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor here. If I didn't get a chance to meet you, thanks for joining us. If you're online with us, hey, we love y'all. Glad that you're with us today. Uh, Genesis chapter one. Would you please open your Bibles if you brought them? And I hope you did. Let's open them up to Genesis chapter one. That's on page one of your Bible. Okay. If you can't find that, I have no help for you. But Genesis 1, you can open a phone or a tablet. If you're online, there's a Bible tab. You can click uh, Genesis 1. Uh, I'll be reading out the ESV, English Standard Version, today. But Genesis 1 is where we're going to be. Hey, uh, happy Palm Sunday to you. Uh, this is, Palm Sunday is, is the, the Sunday where we uh, kind of kick off Holy Week, normally by remembering Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, but today, we're doing it a little different Uh, If you're on our church email, then you're aware of this, but um, we are in between sermon series right now at Fathom. So we just finished uh, 11 weeks in uh, the first part of 1 Samuel. We'll pick that back up in the fall. And then after Easter, we're going to jump into the gospel of Matthew for the summer. So we're going to spend a lot of time looking at the gospel of Matthew, Um, but we're kind of in this in between right now, this weekend, next week. So uh, what we're going to do today is something different. Uh, Last October, we did our annual members feedback survey. And one thing became clear in that survey from our members was that you wanted uh, some more intentional, specific teaching and training on how to handle kind of cultural events and issues from a biblical perspective. That was something that you communicated to us as the elders. And so from time to time, we will now be doing uh, sermons and kind of providing resources in a new series we're calling Trending. Okay, Uh, this will kind of be a sporadic uh, every once in a while. We'll just jump into this series and we're going to cover trending topics. What does the Bible say about trending topics culturally? And today, uh, our first in this series on Palm Sunday, specifically, our topic this morning is transgendered identities. So, you know, happy. I mean, if this is your first Sunday with us, just welcome to Fathom. You know, uh, it's just one of those. This is let me let me let me let me start by way of of making a disclaimer. Okay, Uh, this is a huge topic. All right, this is a huge topic, not just in not just in significance, but also in breadth. There's just a lot to this topic, and I'm barely going to be able to scratch the surface. I cannot comprehensively cover this topic today. Uh, so, what I want to do today is to give a brief overview of this uh, the, the, the 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 conversation around transgender identities. I want us to look at what the Bible has to say about it, uh, and then I want to extrapolate a few practical applications for followers of Christ. Okay, so so this is what what we're going to spend our time in. I, we have also, I understand I'm not going to cover everything. So we have also uh, created a resource website, fathomchurch.org trending. Okay. This is available for you. Uh, we have already put articles and books and podcasts and videos up that you can, if you want to dive deeper into this, uh, you can go there. We will uh, post this sermon there. We will post uh, pod, future podcasts there. So fathomchurch.org trending uh, is where we're going to dump all of this information. And then furthermore, if you have any 
questions. Like if anything comes up today uh, that we don't cover that you're like, ah, what about this? Yeah, look, what about that? Uh, we have uh, opened our text line again, 720-507-8687. Uh, and you can send us your questions, okay? And, and we have already scheduled a couple of follow-up podcasts that we're gonna record with myself, with some other experts around things that we just don't have time to, nor is it really like sermon material, but it's, it's stuff that you need to learn about and, and know. So we're gonna try our very best to resource you well on this topic. Uh, the other disclaimer is this. I'd like to ask for grace from you this morning as my church. Uh, now, uh, some of you are very gracious people. Some of you are not as nice, uh, but, uh, but I just, I want, I want to just say this. I am not a licensed psychologist. Okay. I, I, I'm not a doctor. Uh, I'm not a scholar around these issues. I'm a local pastor. This is my church. I went to seminary. I studied the Bible. I preached the Bible. That's what, I'm, that's what I do, okay? Uh, and I'm going to be leaning on a lot of, of books and research and resources to kind of help me in this today. And man, there are a ton of opportunities for me to step in it on this one. Like I just, I, I mean, I, this, is just, this is tenuous stuff going on today. So here's, here's my, my disclaimer. My intent is not to offend anybody with this this morning, Unless, of course, it's the, the word of God that offends, okay? The word of God is allowed to offend you. I'm not going to try to offend you. Uh, that, that, that's what, I, I don't write this stuff. I just deliver it, right? I'm the mailman here, okay? So uh, that, that's the plan, but I hope I won't be misunderstood. I could easily be misunderstood. I hope that I don't come across as unloving or uncharitable or, 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 or soft or something like that. Uh, I just want to ask for some grace from you as we begin. So here we go. Transgendered identities. Now, this has been a hot topic in the news for the last decade, specifically the last half or, or a decade or more, uh, specifically when uh, Bruce Jenner became, Caitlyn Jenner transitioned to become Caitlyn Jenner and, and made kind of the, the, the headlines around this transgender movement. But even in recent weeks, this continues to be something that's on the news cycle. If you're kind of engaged in the news cycle, a few things, the Equality Act uh, has just passed the House of Representatives. It has been sent to the Senate. It is unlikely that it'll be passed by this Senate, but hear me, the, the culture is moving in this direction, okay? So that's kind of in the political news. The Senate just confirmed the first transgender doctor as uh, the Assistant Secretary of Health. So a prominent position, transgender person is in that position in this, uh, this uh, po politics right now. Uh, if you're following the news, multiple books have been banned recently by Amazon and by Target uh, for writing in ways they deem as non-supportive on the trans movement. And so they've been pulled uh, from those, those sellers. Um, so, so those are some of the things in the, in the news. But hear me, as a pastor, as a dad, as, as just a, a, a citizen, I am deeply concerned uh, about what's being taught to children about gender in public schools right now. Um, which at times seems to advance a single ideology and suppress other views. Okay, so I'm, I'm concerned about that. I am deeply grieved when I read about, uh, about medically invasive and irreversible procedures that are performed on, on young children, sometimes as young as seven, eight, nine years old, um, who are wrestling with their gender identity. Deeply concerned by this. I, I am also, hear me, deeply concerned by how the church has historically responded to this issue. I'm deeply concerned. 
I am deeply concerned for Christians and churches who have ignored or shunned or disregarded or God help us mocked or been unloving towards those experiencing gender identity incongruencies. I'm deeply concerned by this. And I'm also deeply concerned for Christians and churches who have wholeheartedly adopted the world's ideology and become, this is the coin phrase, open and affirming. I'm deeply concerned of both sides of how the church has responded to this. So what we want to do is we want to see what the Bible has to say about this. Okay, if so, here's the question that I'm going to kind of be working from. If someone experiences incongruence between their biological sex and their internal sense of self, which one determines who they are and why? That's the, the, the main question I just want to scratch the surface on this morning. Now, uh, to begin, we're going to get to the book, okay? I promise we'll get to the Bible here, but uh, we have to start by, by uh, doing some work around definitions here. Because this is, I mean, there are terms in this uh, conversation that are numerous, okay? And what we mean when we say certain words is really, really important, okay? So let's do some work here. It's going to feel like school. Just stay with me. I promise that we'll get to the word of God and what we see here. But first, let's do some term work. The first word I want to define is transgender. Transgender. This is the main term, and this is an umbrella term, okay? Transgender is an umbrella term for the many ways people might experience, present, or express their gender identities differently from people whose sense of identity is congruent with their biological sex. Okay, that's, that, that's the kind of umbrella term. It's, it's, in a, it's different ways people experience, present, and express an incongruence between their sense of self and their biological sex. Okay, now transgender has typically referred to a biological female who identifies as a male or vice versa. That's typically how it has been used, but it has come to include many what are called non-binary categories, which refer to a person who identifies as neither male nor female, but something else. And there's many categories within that conversation. So that's what I mean when I talk transgender, when I use that word transgender. The next word I want to define is this, this, uh, this topic, uh, gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria, okay, you may have heard this in the conversation. Gender dysphoria is a psychological diagnosis. It's actually found in the, the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders, okay? It is a diagnosable psychological mental disorder describing the deep distress that some people feel when their internal sense of self does not match their biological self, Okay, that, that, not, this is a, it's a diagnosable and it is a, actually a treatable mental disorder. Okay, it's categorized by psychologists as that. Now, not everybody who identifies as transgender is going to experience gender dysphoria. And not everyone who experiences gender dysphoria is going to identify as transgender. So that's not confusing at all, okay? That's gender dysphoria. Next, intersex. Intersex uh, is, a, is a term that is used to describe a medical condition where a person is born with one or more uncharacteristic features in their sexual anatomy or their chromosomes, their sexual chromosomes. 
So this is a medical, that, that, that last one, gender dysphoria, was a psychological. Intersex is a medical term that is used for, uh, I think it's up to like 16 different disorders. And, and medically, these are known as disorders of sex development or DSD. That's what they are known as in the medical community. Uh, so that's intersex. Things to note about intersex, okay? Intersex is different from transgender. It's different. In fact, the stats say that 99% of people with an intersex condition, so that's a small percentage uh, 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 of people generally who actually have an intersex condition, 99% of those people are actually identifiably biologically male or female. Only 1% are both male and female. So intersex does not mean neither male or female. It doesn't mean neither male or female. Some people and a statistically small number of people are a blend of two biological sexes. They are not a third sex. They are a blend of two. Now, hear me. That opens so many questions, okay? And I'm not able to address any of them. So text me if you want, okay? But I'm not able to give intersex people the time uh, that they deserve in this sermon. But again, send me your questions and we'll try to address them. Now, into our conversation today, there are a few terms that I think are very important, key terms for this conversation. And the first is sex. What do we mean by sex? So uh, science lesson, all right? Let's do a science lesson. I had a science teacher in the first service and he confirmed this, okay? So I'm not making this up. Humans, like most species, are sexually dimorphic. That is, there are two sexes, male and female, and they are both necessary for human reproduction. That's science. Okay, a person is either biologically male or female based on four things. Four things determine whether you are biologically male or biologically female. The four things are this, the presence or absence of a Y chromosome. Now, there are some sexual disorders some intersex people that have issues with their chromosomes, but most people are born with either XX or XY, so that determines whether you are male or female. The second is one's internal reproductive organs. Those define whether you are male or female. Uh, One's external sexual anatomy, how they present externally uh, affects this. And then number four, uh, hormones that produce secondary sex characteristics. Those are the four things that determine scientifically, medically, biologically, whether you are male or female. Now, I know for some of you, this feels like a science lesson, okay? And listen, I went to public school, yo. So like, this is right over the top, okay, for me. Uh, but, but, but listen, while this stuff is, is covered in schools, it doesn't seem to be acknowledged culturally right now. The bio, just the, just the science, I, we haven't even, we've not even moved to the book yet, okay? Just the science is that sex is dimorphic, male, female, okay? So just to be clear, I'm just gonna, trying to be very clear. All persons, even most intersex persons, are biologically male or female regardless of how they identify. Now, we'll get into that, but that's just the biology. That's how we're defining sex. Now, the next term is where it gets heavier. The next term is gender. 
gender is a term that I want us to define, okay? Hear me, sex and gender used to be synonyms. They used to be interchangeable words that anybody could use in any time in any framework. But in this conversation, just listen to me, it's no longer the case. That is no longer the case. Here's the most widely, upon, uh, widely agreed upon definition of gender that I have found that I don't think is, uh, is one way or the other in terms of its definition. Here's the definition of gender. Gender is the psychological, social, and cultural aspects of being male or female. It's psychological, it is social, and it is cultural. What does it mean to be a male or a female? That's what gender, uh, when I talk from, from here on out, sex is biology, gender is psychological, social, and cultural, okay? Now, there are two parts to the gender conversation that we need to address, and the first is this gender identity, Okay, gender identity, this is the part of the conversation that is kind of hot right now. Um, gender identity describes the psychological aspects associated with being male or female, uh, or, or kind of with, it's like one's internal sense of self. That's how it's described very often. I, I, I internally feel this way, or I sense something about me. I'm either male, female, both, neither. Like there's just, I, my gender identity is an internal sense of self. Now hear me, the concept of gender identity, we just have to admit it feels nebulous. It's not binary like sex. It feels very nebulous, okay? It's, it's psychological. It's an internal sense of self. This is why it's really hard to kind of get a hold of this concept, okay? Now, the question that arises is how many gender identities are there? Uh, and, and Facebook, just because they're the authority on everything, right? Uh, Facebook allowed for 71 different gender identities and now has the option of a custom gender. Uh, so, so that, and that sounds absurd to some, okay? But I'm just telling you, this is an actual conversation among scholars and scientists in this field. How many gender identities are there? So just again, to be ad nauseum clear here, um, there are only two sexes, as in a biological sex. But that is not the way that gender is used today. That's not the way the term gender is used today. So when, when you're in conversation with somebody about this, whether it's a coworker, a neighbor, a family, a friend, whatever, um, when, you use, when, they, when somebody uses the term gender, make sure you ask them what they mean by that. You have to know what, what, what playing field you're on when you're discussing these terms. So that's the first part, gender identity. The second term uh, in this gender conversation is gender roles and stereotypes. Gender roles and stereotypes. This describes the social and cultural aspects of being male and female. Uh, and these are sometimes shorthanded as masculinity and femininity. Okay, gender roles and stereotypes. They have to do with how males and females are expected to act in any given culture based mostly on generalizations. Not entirely, but mostly on generalizations. So it's, uh, when I say not entirely, some will say men are bigger and stronger. And that's on a statistical level, true. Most men generally are bigger and stronger than most women, but it's still a generalization, okay? So we're going to get into this, but in the modern Western world that we are a part of, uh, masculinity is usually associated with these things, playing sports, being physically aggressive, 
right? Trying, uh, not, not crying, not being tender, right? Excelling in science and technology and engineering and math, right? That's like masculine stuff. Masculine boys prefer blue over pink, right? It's just jeans instead of dresses, right? Like rough and tumble play instead of sitting in a circle talking about their emotions. Like that's that's just, that, that's kind of the thing that masculinity, it's how it's popularly defined in our culture. Okay. Feminine women, feminine women are more nurturing. They're more compassionate. They're sometimes more agreeable, less physically assertive than men. Like women who fit in this stereotype love pink, not blue, right? They, they like talking instead of sports. They like working at jobs that involve people rather than blueprints. Okay. Now listen, you can be ticked at me. I don't believe any of those things, by the way, just so you're aware. You can be ticked at me, but that's masculinity defined culturally and femininity defined culturally right now. And gender roles and stereotypes, hear me again, they're always based on generalities, not absolutes. If you are a larger woman who is physically more aggressive, that does not mean that you are not a woman. That's not what defines you, right? These are generalities, and this is so very important, okay? We do not determine whether a person is male or female based on whether they match the role or stereotype of their gender. This is key, and I think we're going to see this in the scriptures as well. So, so, so bear with me here. Back to our original question. If someone experiences an incongruence between their biological sex and their internal sense of self, which one determines who they are and why? Well, let's move out of definitions, okay? Because we are here studying this from a biblical perspective. Let's look at the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about this? Well, the problem is the Bible doesn't tell us exactly. It does not directly answer the transgendered question, okay? I cannot point you to one transgender verse. This is the transgender verse. Thou shalt not, like Job 17, thou shalt not be transgender. Like, I don't see that in the text, okay? But the Bible does say quite a lot about the importance of our biological sex, and that will position us to theologically and biblically consider our question. So that's why I had you go to Genesis 1. Genesis 1 is what was read over us. Let me read this one more time, uh, and then we can dig into it a little bit. Genesis 1, verse 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay. This is the account of God creating humanity. Genesis chapter one, okay? Uh, let me start by noting three things from this passage that are pertinent to this conversation. First, in verses 26 and 27, uh, humans are created in God's image. 
That's what it's said. They are created in the image of God. We call it the imago dei, right? The image of God. That is doctrinally very, very important. Uh, Second, in verse 27, it says that humans are created with two sexes, two biological sexes, male and female. He created them. Okay. And then number three, these are referring to biological sexes, not genders, as we just defined that word. We know that because in verse 28, the, the, the mandate is to reproduce, be fruitful and multiply. So they're talking biological dimorphic sexes, male, female, required for reproduction of the human race. That's Genesis 1, 26 through 28. So here's the statement. Biblically, our sexed bodies, male and female, are essential to bearing God's image. They are intrinsically tied with being part and created in the image of God. The doctrine of the Imago Dei states that humans are a visible representation of God on earth. When you see a human, you are seeing the image of God. It doesn't matter who that human is. Now, we are not gods. We don't believe that, but we bear God's image in our male and female sexes. And just note that all of this happens before Genesis 3. All of this happens before the fall. Male and female as binary sexes exist before sin corrupts all things. That's the creative biblical stance on sex, okay? Now, this will be the normative stance for the rest of the Bible. This will be assumed for the rest of the Holy Scriptures. Jesus says this in Matthew 19. Okay, so I'll, I'll put it up on the screens for this one. Um, and he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Matthew 19, in the context of talking about divorce and marriage, Jesus at this point is not directly assess, uh, addressing the issue of gender identity, but biological sex difference is assumed in his teaching on marriage and divorce, okay? So he's assuming that Genesis 1, 26 through 28 stands firm all the way up into Matthew 19. Now, Paul later will do the same thing. We studied 1 Corinthians last year. If you were with us, we walked all the way through the book of 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul, he challenges the Corinthians who are holding to a belief that the body was not significant. He, the, the Corinthians were believing the common belief that the soul, the spirit, the uh, immaterial you was more important than the physical you. And that's what, how they were addressing being permissible about sex in their context. They were sexual perversions that they were allowing for because they said, that's just physical. It doesn't matter. What matters is the immaterial. It matters your soul. Paul discounts this as a heresy by saying this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body, your body, your physical body is a temple to the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What Paul is saying here is that you cannot separate the immaterial you from the physical you. You can't do that. Personhood 
biblically defined, is physical. We are not, hear me, we are not souls with bodies. We are embodied souls. This is why in in, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he will talk, Paul will talk about a physical resurrection. You will have a physical body in the in the afterlife. You will be physical and spiritual united, embodied souls. Now the scripture, hear me, it doesn't often mention uh, people presenting themselves as the opposite sex, but it does a little bit. It does a little bit and it always prohibits that kind of behavior. I'll just give you a few more scriptures. You can write these down. Deuteronomy 22.5 in the Old Testament law prohibits cross-dressing. It does, okay? So, and a lot of people want to hang their hat on that one verse. Uh, there's more, but Deuteronomy 22.5 prohibits cross-dressing. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 uh, includes a, a Greek term that's a little difficult to translate, uh, but, but uh, it includes a prohibition of a term that most scholars recognize as describing men who act like or identify as women. It is most recently and most, uh, uh, most frequently translated as homosexuality in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, but that's not a great translation, actually, of the term. Most scholars think it, it means uh, one who identifies, a male who identifies more as a female or presents it as a female. It's just they didn't have these categories as they were translating the Bible into English for most of history. So uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 is something you might want to look into. And then 1 Corinthians 11 is, is the other passage uh, with all of it. Man, it's an interpretive nightmare, 1 Corinthians 11. I'm so glad that John preached that one, not me, uh, last year, because uh, he had to wade into that, that mess. But, but it highlights sex and gender distinctions. Regardless of your interpretation of that passage, it highlights that there are differences between men and women. The scriptures, I'll just say this as, as kind of a wrap-up here. The scriptures maintain sex differences as something that should be upheld and celebrated. Okay, they on some level affirm that male and female sex distinctions are creational goods and should be honored. So I think it is safe to say that God made us persons who are not completely defined by our biological sex, but who cannot be defined apart from our biological sex. We are not completely defined by it, but we cannot be defined completely apart from it. But then the next question, because that's biology, okay? The next question then, what about gender? What about gender in the, the Bible? Okay, what about biblical masculinity and femininity as opposed to gender roles and stereotypes of today? Like, are there, are there examples in the Bible of, of men being men that we should be like? And are there examples of women being women that we should be like? And are they kind of, Culturally, for, the, for all times? That's a question. Well, let's look at some examples because I think this is helpful. We have been studying 1 Samuel, okay? So uh, we will pick that again back up in the fall. But 1 Samuel is the working all the way to uh, uh, the, the, the great King David. King David is kind of the apex of 1 Samuel. We will get there together as a church. But um, by most Western American standards, David did some really feminine things as well as a whole bunch of masculine stuff, okay? He just did both, okay? David sat on hilltops writing poetry, playing the harp. He did. That was David's MO, okay? He openly danced and wept in worship of Yahweh. 
Okay, he hugged and kissed his best friend, Jonathan, showing great affection for him. So those are things that we might classify as a little bit more feminine. But David also chopped the head off of a giant. That's manly, right? He he killed a lion with his bare hands. Did you see that report in Lakewood last year of the guy who's running, I think, Green Mountain and a, a mountain lion jumped on his back and he killed it with his bare hands? Yo, that's hardcore. That's man, right? Like, he led armies in battle. They said Saul killed the thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. I mean, so the question is this, is King David gender fluid? That's absurd. It's absurd. But just because he, he had tendencies that seem more feminine to our mindset and some, some that are more masculine to our mindset. See, men in the Bible defy our stereotypes all over the place. Okay, men are called to be tender. They're called to be profoundly emotional and relational. We're called to turn the other cheek, not assert ourselves for revenge. We're called to love our enemies. We're called to weep with those who weep. We're called to raise up and teach children. Men, you're called to do that, not just your wives. Okay, we're called to be sensitive, to be kind, to be peacemakers. Things that we might not qualify as manly in our culture. And biblical women, hear me, they, they're breaking stereotypes all over the place. Everyone wants to point to the Proverbs 31 woman. That's kind of like the standard, right? And yes, okay, she is an excellent wife. Okay, she provides food for her household. She makes bed coverings and linen garments. Great, love it, okay? Very feminine, great. But she sells those garments for a, for a profit. That's what it says. She considers a field and buys it. She is a wise businesswoman. She is hard working. She has strong arms. That means girl crossfits. Did you hear me? She works. Okay. She engages social justice in her free time. This isn't stay at home and raise the kids. This is breaking the stereotypes that we might have culturally. Biblical women smash tent pegs through the skulls of men. Remember judges? That happened. There are sometimes unmarried businesswomen who are the closest followers of Christ, okay? It's wealthy women who actually funded Jesus' ministry. You ever wonder who paid the bills as the 12 of those dudes are running around doing stuff? It's a bunch of rich ladies. And we're celebrating this on Sunday, but it was the women who were the first brave disciples to come to the tomb after Jesus' crucifixion and burial while the dudes are hanging out in the upper room, hiding. I mean, was Jacob any less of a man because he was quieter, enjoyed cooking, loved his mama and couldn't grow a beard? That's Bible, yo. It's in there. I grew my beard out just for this sermon, just so you're aware. Was Deborah any less of a woman because she settled national disputes and spoke on God's behalf and led an army? She's no less female because of that. I say all of this just to say that most gender stereotypes come from culture. They they don't come from the Bible. The Bible is much more concerned that we be godly, not stereotypically masculine or feminine. Now, there's some things that biblical men do and things that biblical women do, but there are fewer and far between than you would actually believe. And yet... Hear me, some people say that if you aren't the stereotype of your sex, that's your problem. And ironically, this is both from the left and from the right. 
Okay, from the very most progressive to the very most conservative, they're using it, they're they're coming at it from the same uh, argument, okay? For the more conservative among us, it might be like, hey, just be a man. Boys don't cry. Don't throw like a girl, right? Like those are the things that might set them off. But then the ironic thing here is that the progressive approach, they actually take the exact same stereotypes and they say, oh, you throw like a girl? Maybe you are one. Maybe you should explore that. See, these stereotypes are causing all kinds of confusion. And I'm not saying they are the only part that is kind of feeding into this crisis of gender and sex and identity. Certainly not. But it certainly, to me, seems like these are exacerbating the problem. Listen to me. Just, I mean, biblically, okay? Biblically, being a man is not about being masculine. It's about being godly. Biblically, being a woman is not about being whatever your your vision of femininity is. It's about being godly as the Bible defines it. And in all these things, I don't think that this book is too out of touch or outdated to speak to this topic with authority. Some will say, well, this just, it doesn't address it. So we, I mean, we can't use this as an authority. I think this is extremely relevant to this conversation. And the Bible is more than sufficient to help us in this topic. So I would say that the Bible, and, and, and actually I've done a lot of reading on this. I would say that the Bible and science as well, but for our purposes, the Bible offers evidence that our sexed bodies determine whether we are male or female or both for those with a rare intersex condition. And that our physical bodies are an essential part of how we image God in this world. That's what I see in the text. I don't think that the Bible, or really science for that matter, offers enough evidence to suggest that our gender identities or stereotypes overrule our sexed biological identity, even if we experience an incongruence. I don't think the Bible, and I actually don't think that science gives us enough to to show us that at this point. However, now the other shoe will drop in this conversation. This does not, by the way, I'm normally funnier than this. This isn't a great joke sermon. So just, there you go. Okay. However, that does not mean that we should downplay the significance of a person's experience or internal sense of who they are. We should not downplay that. We should not take what the Bible says or what science says and discount an entire group in our population, their experience as, as uh, wrong, just willy-nilly, okay? So you can get Bible right, you can get science right, and you can get love way wrong in this. You can do that. So let's talk about that. And now everybody, just don't send me emails yet, okay? As I've already mentioned... Christians and the church have not always handled this topic well. We've not handled this topic well, and I see two polar opposites on how this has been mishandled. Uh, One tendency is to lean way too heavy on the truth of the scripture as I just presented it and just crush people with it. We lean too heavy on truth and we crush people and run people over with it. The other polar opposite is to lean far too heavy on grace. I never have a backbone when it comes to God's word or theology or what the, what, 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 Lord, what the Lord would actually say to us in this. 
But the biblical mandate for this issue and every issue is a balance of grace and truth. Grace and truth. John 1.14, this is what John says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, full of grace and truth. It's grace and truth. It's compassion and conviction. People and concepts are both important. Both are necessary in this conversation. But listen, sometimes we have used truth as a weapon. We've used truth as a sword. And sometimes compassion without critical thinking can make you do things that make a person feel good on the short run, but cause great harm in the long run. So let's talk about this, okay? how to love people with grace in truth and truth in some real practical ways. I'm way long. Again, I tried to go shorter this time, but I'm not gonna, okay? You, you have to sit here and listen to me, sorry. Here's the application, three applications. First, if someone tells you that they are trans, or you, or you can just tell, you can figure that out, okay? But, but if somebody you know is uh, struggling with gender identity, is transgendered, uh, they have just given you an opportunity for relationship. That's the first application here. They've given you an opportunity for a relationship. This is an intimate detail of their life. You wouldn't believe the stories I've read about, about trans people who are just afraid to actually present as the gender they, are, that they identify as because they're afraid of the ridicule they'll experience constantly from people. So this is an intimate detail of their life, and you are invited to steward this opportunity well. As a Christian, okay, one of the best things that you can do is, is if they tell you that they're trans, ask them what they mean by that. You don't need to like interrogate them, sit them down with like a lamp and like make them sweat it out. Like you don't need to be crazy, okay? You might even just ask, hey, is it okay if I ask you some questions about that? It's called being a human being in relationship with another human being. Don't write them off. Don't run. You can't catch this, Okay? lovingly engage them in relationship. Jesus bids us to embody kindness, hear me, and love towards our neighbor and our enemy. Our neighbor is everyone. Our enemy is someone. But we're supposed to exhibit love towards them. And this cannot be done if we don't listen or learn, okay? I mean, hear me, it's far too easy to dismiss the struggles of others especially if we don't face the same struggle ourselves, It's just far too easy to write them off. Sometimes, Lord, help us write off a whole huge group of people. So we have relationship with them. Next, um, for us corporately, if a, if a man or a woman shows up at our church who does not fit the kind of cultural gender role or stereotype. So like if somebody walks in here and, and, and they are transgendered, okay, they come to fathom, we respond with welcome. We respond with welcome. Okay, listen to me. If they are not welcomed and embraced and delighted in and listened to and learned from and loved and cared for and shown Christ's kindness saturated with compassion, then hear me, our church has some serious issues that need to be dealt with. At that point, it's not their problem, it's our problem. Hear me, we should want trans people to flood our churches. 
okay? It will create beautifully complex discipleship opportunities that will make some Christians very uncomfortable and they will leave and so be it. So be it. As the number of trans people in our world increases, our churches should have more trans people, not fewer. There's a law of ratios here. Okay, not because our conviction is weak or unclear. I hope I've made that point. Not because our conviction is weak or unclear, but because it is strong and holistic and true and courageous and compassionate and humble. Because of all of those things. Like, I want our church to be filled with those who know their own brokenness, who don't hide their pain, and who ask very, very hard questions. That's our second aim here that we would welcome. But third, our aim as a church is always going to be discipleship. Discipleship. We say it all the time here at Fathom, but at Fathom, it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. It's okay not to be okay. But we want to push you towards discipleship. It's, it's just not okay to stay there. Discipleship is the call for all of us to go deeper with God. Every single one of us. And, and I do believe, hear me, that a long-term goal of discipleship is for all believers to identify with their biological sex. Okay? Like, I believe that. That that's part of Christian discipleship. But hear me, that will take a great deal of time. It's going to take a whole long time for some people. I mean, question here. How long have you been at this whole, like, I'm following Jesus thing? Couple months, couple years, couple decades? Been at this for a minute? I mean, church, discipleship is a long process. By the way, it's a lifelong process. The longer you're in this, the longer you realize it's long, right? And praise God, He doesn't demand overnight sanctification. Praise Him for that. Praise Him for that. We need to welcome all people. And, and listen, welcoming does not mean we agree with everything they believe. Okay, that's just complete nonsense that to welcome someone means that you uh, believe everything that they believe. That's nonsensical. You're like, we don't even believe everything that we believe and we still welcome each other and love each other. Right? I know some of y'all. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. It's a misnomer in our culture. You don't have to be uh, compromised in your conviction to actually be compassionate towards another person. Welcoming is the first step of discipleship. Listen, God welcomes us as he adopts us into his family. He welcomed us while we were still sinners. But then discipleship moves us to invite God to tell us who we are and who he wants us to become. You don't have to be okay to be here, but, but we want to push you in discipleship. And listen to me. I say this before in other sermons. No one other than God gets to tell you who you are. No one gets to tell you who you are other than the Lord. Your parents don't. Your school counselors don't. Coworkers don't. Listen, not even you, not even you get to tell you who you are. Only God gets to tell you who you are. And being a Christian is becoming who God says you are. 
It's becoming who you are. That's Christianity in a nutshell. So let me end with a story. Man, I'm way over. You're welcome. Okay. Let me end with a story. For many years, I led uh, mission trips to inner city San Diego, uh, where we would serve the homeless population in that city. For many years, I did this. Uh, and, and on one of the trips I, I led, uh, we were out on the streets uh, of San Diego, downtown San Diego, lots of homeless people there, a large population. And we were out serving kind of coffee and snacks. It's about nine o'clock PM. Okay. So uh, the homeless people are kind of bedding down. They're kind of getting set. And it was a, one of the best times that we were able to kind of just sit and talk and have conversation and serve and just kind of be in relationship with people who were living on the streets at that time. Now on this trip, my in-laws were with us uh, on this trip and, uh, and, and they came along and my sweet, sweet mother-in-law, Mary, if you know, Mary, sweet, 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 Mary. I will have other things to say about Royce in a moment, but uh, the sweetness of Mary, uh, she, she strikes up a conversation. She's serving coffee to all these homeless people. And she strikes up a coffee. I mean, a conversation with a homeless woman. And then Royce, my, my father-in-law, he comes over and he joins in the conversation. And they soon realize uh, that this woman wasn't biologically a woman. Okay. Uh, It was dark, but they figured it out. And uh, she was actually an African-American trans woman named Randy, who uh, did not look physically well, didn't look healthy. And so as they, they talked, Randy shared some of her story with them that, that earlier in life, she had come out of the closet and was shunned by her family. And, and that led to her ending up on the streets where she kind of got caught up in the world of sex and of street prostitution and of drugs and a lot of other really painful things. And she also shared at that point that she was HIV positive. So there stands my in-laws, Mary and Royce from Littleton, okay? Uh, and Randy, the HIV positive homeless African-American trans woman. That's the picture in your mind. And as we were wrapping up and needing to get back and, and get back in the vans, Mary and Royce asked Randy if they could pray for her. Just pray for her. And remember what I said about praying for somebody last week, what it does in you, it moves you. And, and she obliged. And so they took her hands and they prayed over her. And then we got back in the vans and never saw her again. And as we were driving away, I'll remember this till the day I die. Royce uh, sitting in front of me, I'm in the back of the van. And he turns to me and he says, you know, Chris, if Randy had showed up in church last week, I would have thought she's weird. I probably would have ignored her completely. But if she showed up now, I think I'd think differently about her. You see, Royce saw the image of God in Randy. Now let's be honest. And I know church is no place to be honest, but let's be honest for a second, okay? Um, Most of us just see a dude in drag who looks sickly. And we immediately judge them. I mean, most of us do, I do this. We immediately judge them. We immediately move them into a category in our minds. And maybe, maybe we even shun them. We avoid them. Like, like they might have something that we can catch. But here's the truth. Biblically. I'm not, I'm not really gifted to talk about all that. But here's what I'll tell you as a pastor, as a seminary grad. 
Randy, as broken and battered and shunned and homeless and sick and dirty and add whatever other words you would want to about her, Randy is made in the image of God. And hear me, she is deeply loved by Jesus Christ. And actually, this is why this works as a Palm Sunday message, okay? Because what Jesus did this week is what presents opportunity for Randy to be reconciled and made new. She is so loved by Christ that he died for her. Therefore, she is deserving of dignity and love and respect as one of God's pinnacle created beings. Church, may we all hope and pray that our church will embody Jesus more vibrantly. May we work tirelessly to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ with any person God entrusts to us. Grace and truth, compassion and conviction. Let's pray together. And Father, while this is a trending topic, it is not a topic, it is people. It's groups of people, it's, it's moms, it's dads, it's brothers, it's sisters, it's cousins, it's nephews, it's nieces, it's, it's people. And Lord, what we're gonna look at this week is that you came to die for people, for broken people, for battered people, for those who don't fit the culture, for those who don't fit the stereotype, for those who don't find any sort of hope in this earth. You came and you died for them. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of you. We were the ones who weren't deserving of your, your grace. We were the ones who weren't deserving of the cross. And yet you came and you died for us, offering us hope. Or would you grow us in how to live grace and truth? Would you grow us in how to live compassion and conviction? We never want to get away from the word of God, but we always want to be so loving and so compassionate, just as Christ was with us. Lord, help us in this way. Help us to be more like Jesus in this way. Call us deeper and show us who we are in you. God, no one gets to tell us who we are except you. So help us to become more of who we already are. We love you, Father. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit.